What's up, everyone? Welcome to Making the Shift. Where we listen to autistic voices, explore new therapy ideas, and share neurodiversity-affirming methods and strengths-based approaches to support autistic kids. Because we're not here to try and, quote, fix kids. We are here to love them, embrace them, and celebrate them for who they are. I'm Jesse Ginsberg, sensory integration trained SLP, founder of a top-rated speech therapy clinic in Los Angeles, and creator of the Inside Out Sensory Certificate for SLPs. And I'm Chris Winger, also known as Speech Dude, high school SLP and creator of the Dynamic Assessment for Social-Emotional Learning. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 12. Already episode 12. I say that every week, don't I? You do. It's already <laughs> episode 12. We already made it. Uh, episode 1012. This is crazy. Time flies. If you're here live, drop in the chat where you're from. It's always fun for us to see that. So excited you guys are joining us live. We did take last week off. We did. And when Jesse mentioned uh, drop in the chat where you're from, we are from Los Angeles, and this t- town or city, I should say, is tricky because of many reasons. The reason why we weren't um, airing live last week was because it was the fourth, the fourth of July. It wasn't, it wasn't the fourth. We took off the fifth. Oh yeah, we took off the fifth. But we did want to talk just briefly about our experience for Fourth of July. Which was, I don't, did we even do anything? I don't think we did anything. So that's what I was going to say is living here in Los <laughs> Angeles, if you don't do anything. So we have a baby at home. We've got two dogs. If you <laughs> stay home on 4th of July during 4th of July, you are going to hear every single firework, even if you don't want to. It's like surround sound. <laughs> it comes from everywhere. Yeah. And you know what's funny about it? The 4th of July actually starts on uh, the 4th of June when you live in Los Angeles, and it doesn't end until the 4th of August. So we've got two months worth of fireworks going off to keep us up at night. Yeah. Super fun (laughs) with the dogs. Oh, yeah. With the dogs, with the baby. Speaking of loud sounds fireworks, too, is perfect for our topic tonight, which is the four sensory patterns. And... This is something that I learned about, I don't even know. I think I learned about it when I was learning how to give sensory assessments. And then I learned about Dr. Winnie Dunn's work. She is a very well-known OT who has done so much research in this area. And oh my gosh, I reached out to her. I like stalked her online, looked for a current email address could not find anything except something really old from a long, like a school she used to work at. And I just went out on a limb and I emailed her because I was dying to consult with her. And she actually responded. I, it was like one of those things I thought I just put out into the world and I'd never hear from her. And then it was just crazy. That is amazing. And then uh, she followed it up with getting a tattoo on her back that says, I love Winnie Dunn. She's the best. Yeah, maybe. thought that was a little extreme, but next we're going to talk about name, sensory stuff. Next baby name, Little Winnie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, st- I consulted with her as I was writing my sensory program. And then she even came in as a guest lecturer in the program. And it's just one of those things because it's, there's, 
it feels like there's so many barriers specifically to SLPs using sensory strategies and to have someone like her validate that, you know, that this is something everyone needs to learn, not just OTs, SLPs, PTs, parents, teachers, and people themselves need to learn about their own sensory patterns. And it's just funny as we sit here talking about this topic, because there's just so much we have learned about ourselves as a family since kind of digging into this research. Absolutely. I've learned so much about myself, which is great because the dynamics within our family are kind of interesting as we'll talk about this stuff, but how different and unique each of us are with our sensory patterns. Yeah. And that brings up a good point, which is being understanding other people as well as yourself. So it's like, I know what is going to annoy me about the things you do because I know these differences that we have. So at least it's not like unexplained annoyance. I get why. You know what, like being able to identify the sensory patterns in other people truly help develop an understanding and more empathy towards, you know, just everybody. If mm-hmm. I really think for Jesse and I, it's saved a lot of <laughs> maybe potential arguments yeah. because we do understand where we're coming from, but that uh, doesn't come easy. And every person has unique sensory needs, not just autistic kids. We do know that you know, the vast majority of autistic kids have sensory differences, but everyone has very unique sensory needs. So we're going to go through a little bit about what these four patterns are. And this comes from Winnie Dunn's work. And as you guys are here, if you're live, you could drop in the chat if you feel like this resonates with you, if you feel like this is you, or maybe you know someone in your life who is one of these. Okay, so let's start with number one, which I think is the most commonly talked about, which is a seeker. Don't you think that's most common that people know of? Uh, Probably. I would imagine so. So what makes a seeker a seeker is that they have to have two different kind of qualifying factors. So one is they have a very high threshold for sensory input, meaning it takes a lot of sensory input for it to activate them. It takes a lot for them to notice sensory input. So it takes a lot. And then the other thing that you have to have in order for a child to be a seeker or person is they self-regulate in an active way, meaning when they start to feel sensory input they enjoy, they're going to go out and look for it. Or when they feel sensory input they don't like, they are going to move away from it. So they are going to be actively making changes to their environment in order to get more of what they need. And our seeker of the family is this dude. (laughs) Of course, I've always been a seeker with a variety of things. So when it comes to noises, um, I've always liked to go to very large concerts and festivals. Um, I've actually used to travel the U.S. to go to big festivals back in my heyday. (laughs) (laughs) Back when Woodstock was around. No, (laughs) but I also like to actively seek just adrenaline and yeah, just the, the, that part of it. So I've jumped out of helicopters to snowboard up in Whistler, Canada. I've been in some situations with scuba diving in a variety of countries. Almost getting lost at sea scuba diving. Getting rescued by (laughs) (laughs) the rescue crew in uh, Maui. Um, Yeah, so I'm definitely the seeker. Yeah, so 
Seekers, like we said, have a very high threshold. So for you, you definitely have a high threshold for like sounds. So maybe a seeker in your life is someone you have to call their name several times in order for them to realize that you were calling them. Right. Or the thing about him that I find so interesting and that I'm envious of is that it's like if he is sitting on the couch and he gets that like, I need to move kind of feeling, you are just up and you go, okay, what do we need from the store? I'm going to go to the store. So you use your energy seeking for good because you go to run errands for us when you need to just get up and move. Things get done. So that is an active strategy. Any seekers out there in the crowd? Let us know. I wonder if that has to tie into my ADHD as well. Just constantly like losing focus or not losing focus, but more of a actively seeking things and not yeah, that would be interesting to see the correlation between right. ADHD and then kids who fall into these different patterns. Yeah, I yeah. agree. So there are a lot of benefits to being a seeker. Seekers enjoy doing new things. They crave that kind of experience. So they tend to be like the adventurous, fun type of person, um, always looking for new experiences. But the the flip side to that, kind of what makes it difficult, is that their need for input might get kind of put forward as number one, and then they end up getting distracted. Do you think right. that's true? Right, yeah, I think so. Like, you might really need to get something done, but because you want to do something that's new and exciting, it's like you want to go do something else. Right. Um, before we move to the next one, this is helpful because since Jesse knows and can pinpoint that I'm a seeker, if there are times where I am constantly seeking that, then she can take that perspective, that understanding, and um, and 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 it makes things a little bit more peaceful, I should say. Oh, totally. Because even for example, like at night when we put the kids to bed, all I want to do is sit down, like sit down on the couch, hang out. And for you to go, okay, I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm like, what? Like, why? That's not fun. That doesn't make any sense. So instead of me judging him of why would you want to do that? Why don't you just sit down and let's watch TV? I know that you're just like need that stimulation. So I do. I need yeah. that. I need that, that body movement too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not one to really sit down and watch a series on Amazon or, or Netflix or 30 minute. We can never get through a movie. We can't get through an entire movie <laughs> with me, but we'll get lucky if we get through a 30 minute episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> I love true. that. So let's talk about the other one that I think is really commonly known too, which is an avoider. And an avoider is similar to a seeker in that they actively self-regulate. So if they are sensing a sensation that they don't like, they are going to either try to physically move away from it or adjust their environment to try to get less of that. So an example might be a child who is sensitive to sounds. If they actively self-regulate, they will be covering their ears in a classroom or trying to leave a classroom. So really actively trying to get away, move away, and avoid that sensory input. And what's different about what makes an avoider and a seeker different is that an avoider has a low threshold for sensory input, whereas a seeker has a very high threshold. So a, an avoider only takes a little bit 
for them to notice sensory inputs. And there's a lot of kids, especially autistic kids who are hypersensitive to certain things too. So only taking that little bit of input in order to notice it or then become bothered by it. And we have a, we sure have an avoider in the family. We do. By the book. By the book. Yeah. So Connor, who's six, is definitely an avoider. And like you said, it's knowing this helps us really honor and respect his needs. Because to an outsider who's not an avoider, sometimes the behavior you see in an avoider just doesn't make sense. You're like, but why wouldn't you want to go to the playground on the beach? It's so cool, you know? Right. But like, that's one example I think of, which is when we went to this playground, which is right on the sand. So it's like, for me, it's win-win. The kids get the playground, we get the beach, right? But one day we went there. Do you remember that day? It was really windy. Oh, yeah. And sand was blowing in his eyes and it was cold and he was just so miserable. He wanted to leave immediately after we got there. And then when we brought up going like the next weekend, he's like, no, I, I don't want to go there. So avoiders will, um, you know, they really want to know what to expect when they're going into a situation. They want to have a plan. They want to be in control because they want to know what kind of sensory input they're going to get. So it's just doing anything with him. He, he has to have the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm thinking about we recently went to Universal Studios. And so a lot of us knowing that he's an avoider with you know, big crowds and loud sounds and things really helps us understand why he didn't want to go on, you know, certain rides where I'm like, come on, let's go on Harry Potter. And he's like, no. Um, and, but he's like, what's, what's inside? How many people are going to be there? What are the lights and the sounds going to be like? And, and, you know, it's just understanding where he's coming from really makes the situation easier rather than me just trying to say, hey, come on, let's just do this. Cause you got a seeker and an avoider. <laughs> yeah. Universal Studios, Disneyland, you name it, it's going to be a different experience. Yeah. And what's great about avoiders is they do want to have a plan. So it's like that was going to be your friend who's going to plan your vacation for you because they want to be the one in charge of making that plan. But what is kind of that flip side, what makes it difficult is that, like I said, a lot of times other people just don't understand their behavior. Um, and they tend to want to do things very routinely, not necessarily try new things. So right. that's like, you know, we were talking about how when we go out to eat, for example, he wants to go to a new restaurant every time versus Connor. It's like he would rather stay home. He'd rather not go out. At all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this is actually um, tying it into, you know, I work in the, the school an education uh, setting. I'm at a high school of 3,500 students, quite quite a large uh, campus. But you think of the differences between the students and the ones who are seekers are the ones that are like, I cannot wait till Friday. It's the homecoming rally. The band's going to be there. It's going to be so loud. There's going to be huge celebrations on announcing who's on court. And then you have the complete um, different perspective and take of who, what the sensory pattern of the avoider who is, oh, dear Lord, it's getting closer to Friday. I'm going to have to put myself in a situation of 3,500 students. It's going to be so loud. 
bright lights. I'm going to be around so many of my classmates who are going to be raising their hands. They're probably going to be stinky. Um, <laughs> so if we can help ourselves, but as well as the clients and students we work with identify the sensory pattern, then we can best help them with the, the kind of accommodations that are needed in the IEP, right? Exactly. So then we can work on those self-advocacy goals. So when the time comes, the student can say, um, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so on Friday, you know, I don't do really well with big crowds and loud sounds. Instead of the rally, can maybe I go to the library and work on my um, my science homework or whatever it might be, you know, kind yeah, of get the idea. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great example. So let's talk about these, the more passive, because so the seeker and the voider are the active regulating patterns. So then we have two other patterns other patterns. So one, the next one is a sensor and a sensor has like an avoider, a low threshold. So notices things very easily. Um, it only takes a little bit of sensory input to activate them. Um, but the difference is that a sensor does not actively regulate. A sensor passively self-regulates, meaning a sensor can feel bothered by something but will continue to stay in that situation rather than trying to make an active plan to remove themselves. And I know this because this is me. That's right. And Jesse it's, is it's absolutely. So interesting too, because knowing that, you know, it's like I could sense myself, for instance, when I get hungry, like I feel that like little ping of hunger, but I will sit on the couch. I'll watch five more episodes of The Bachelor. And then all of a sudden it's like, I have to eat or we don't, definitely don't want to be around me. Yeah, no, that's why I always carry a Nutri-Grain bar in my pocket just in case <laughs> she gets hungry. I'm like, eat this. <laughs> or um, just thinking about like being around kids and having our house with three boys, tiny boys running around all the time. It's a lot of sensory input. It could be a lot of noise. It can be a lot of moving around. And it's like, I could feel myself getting dysregulated by the situation, but I'm not saying, okay, mommy's going to go take a break. Right. Whereas maybe I should like build those like, okay, I'm going to go wash dishes and let them do this for a few minutes. Like knowing this about myself now, though, I know that I need to be more proactive, like figure out how to do that. So I think what's tricky with kids is that they're not actively self-regulating. So we might see a kid who's bothered in a busy classroom and might have the same low threshold, a sensor and an avoider, but an avoider is going to try to get away from the classroom or put their hands on their ears versus a sensor is just going to sit there and stay dysregulated in the classroom. So we still have to look for those signs of dysregulation. Right. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And a sensor, sensor is like to know the plans to, what to expect. It's like for me, when we went to Stagecoach, the music festival, it's like I wanted to know, well, how far are we walking? What kind of shoes do I need to bring? How how far am I going to be walking in them? Where are we going to sleep? You know, it's just like nice to know. You know, this ties directly into traveling as well, because Jesse and I, when we travel, it looks so different. If we are, we went to Australia several months ago and I packed um, 10 minutes before the Uber came to pick us up <laughs> for Jesse. She started packing three months prior. She's like, we're going to Australia. I better start getting ready. I'm like, we're not leaving for three months. But it was like that sense of 
what types of things should I pack? What's the weather going to be like? Yes, How am I going to be comfortable? I'm very temperature sensitive. That's like when I'm plan I'm planning to go to a conference this week and I know it's a hot place, but because when places are hot, they have a lot of AC, I know I need a sweater and that gives me anxiety thinking about it. Yep. See, so I'm tied right into that. <laughs> yeah. So let us know if you're a sensor. So, um, yeah. And I was going to say that it's just things like we have our biggest difference is the threshold. So you have a high threshold and I have a low threshold. So it's like, I might be bothered by little things, whereas you don't notice them at all. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I can't get upset about that. And I understand that. Okay. Our last one is a bystander. So a bystander is a person who has also passively self-regulates like a sensor but they have a high threshold for sensory input. And our bystander of the family is little four-year-old Tucker. He is definitely a bystander. So it works different when he's with us because me being a seeker and him being a bystander, he's pretty cool about like when I'm saying, hey, you know what? Let's um, jump on this scooter and go down the hill as fast mm -hmm. as we can. And he's like, yeah. But, you know, he's not actively seeking that, but he'll do it. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, he bystanders tend to be very like easygoing, go with the flow type of people, which make them very easy to have in a classroom. The problem is that because they need so much sensory input, but they don't actively search for it, they may not be in this optimal state of regulation. So they may actually be missing a lot of what's going on and some of the teaching in the classroom because they're not optimally regulated. So definitely takes a lot more input. You think about even like brushing the kid's teeth. Connor, it's so, it's like he cries. Tucker laughs. He thinks it's so funny. Or yeah. Or how about getting a haircut? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are involved when you go, you know, out to a place to get your haircut. It involves a lot of stuff that we don't tend to think about can be a, a challenge at times. You know, the hairdresser wants to talk to you. Not all people want to talk getting your haircut. That little <laughs> hair falls on your nose. Oh, Connor hates that. He hates that, that right? Yeah. He hates putting on the little thing. It, the like, feeling of a fresh, clean cut. I mean, there's just a lot yeah. of things that are involved for Even um, sensory needs. That know? makes me think about like when we go do go out to eat. It's like you're the one who's like, so we talked in the morning and we're like, what should we eat for dinner? And we decide on sushi. And then we get in the car hours later and you're like okay so where should we go i think we should go get chinese food or mexican i'm like i'm sorry what we this was the plan why are we diverting from the plan and first of all connor didn't want to go out at all remember and then tucker is just like yeah to anything he doesn't really care. yeah absolutely so that bystander is the easygoing one so like you can see families can consist of many different types of people with different sensory patterns and you know, we're not exaggerating when we say it really did help us better understand our family dynamic and really respecting and validating each other's needs and just like the things that we do, behaviors that we right have. I think it's so important for us as we as we guide our students and clients we work with, but it's even more important, I think, for us to have that understanding so we can develop effective plan, right? Definitely. But um, yeah, sensory is one of the topics we love to talk about since I work with younger kids and he works with 
older students, it's really fun to talk about sensory needs and then helping kids understand their accommodations. And then, yeah, we definitely got to talk about this more. I think it's, yeah. I mean, just shadowing what Jesse said um, is being able to help, you know, within my context anyway, of the school system and setting is, you know, what are the things that might be um, limiting the student to access the curriculum or to um, perform in class and whatever those sensory needs are, those can be the things we can consider putting into the accommodations page for um, creating an environment for the student that is um, helping meet their needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I forgot to mention this in the beginning, but I wrote an article for the ASHA Leader, which is the national publication for speech language pathologists, and Dr. Dunn contributed to it. So that's what we kind of talked about more in detail. So I'll go ahead and put a link to that article in this video description. And reminders to any parents watching, I have a free event coming up to teach parents all about sensory strategies they can use to support their child's communication. So I will put that link in there as well. And yeah. then... Anything else? On my end of things, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a, a free live webinar on neurodiversity affirming practices to kind of really enhance the IEP. Um, if you're interested in that. Um, we'll put that link in too. Good luck finding the link. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll put that link in there too. Yeah, or you can head over to Speech Dude on my uh, um, social media. The link's there as well. And I will say, this is the first time both of us are doing workshops for um, parents too. I know right. yours is for both, but that's what's exciting. New new adventures. New adventures, diving yes. into new waters because I am a seeker. <laughs> she is a sensor. Which is why I'm already planned and he is still working on it. Seeker, sensor, and we talked about an avoider. And last but not least, bye. Bye, standard. <laughs> and bye now. That was good. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, standard, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.